0: Welcome to the Lex City Church podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit lexcity.church. Oh, Be Real, the app that tells us, hey, be authentic, live life without filters, without setting it up. Can I confess to you? (laughs) I have retaken more than one of my be real pictures. I have waited till certain times in the day to try to take them because I'm just sitting in the car half the time. I'm bored with my own life. And so I knew I was a problem when I couldn't even be real with being real, right? You ever can relate to that kind of idea? We shouldn't surprise us, right? This, we talked about it last Sunday, this idea of image management. Uh, it's been with mankind since the very, from the garden, right? We have lived life trying to project and protect projecting an image that we think others will accept and others will validate, and then protecting our heart against ever being hurt or disappointed. So it's struggle to be real. You know, the one place it seems the one exception to not struggling as much with being real sometimes happens in the context of of conflict. Uh, Have you ever had a conflict where somebody has weaponized being real with you? They kind of start that thing, hey, I'm just going to be real with you. Man, I'm just an authentic person, live a life of authenticity, and uh, so I got to just be straight with you. Yeah, I'm a red. I'm going to keep it 100%. And uh, in that moment, they just simply blast away with their perspective on the truth, just trying to keep it real and keeping it authentic with you. And as the recipient right, of that authenticity of emotion, whew, we find ourselves uh, a little bit beat up. We find ourselves, even if the truth is real, it feels a little bit rude to us as we go. And we're going to talk about that today. How do we be real without being rude? Because when we sometimes are just that real, it leaves the person who we've shared that truth with feeling a little bit uh, like the words we say are harsh. They're unkind. Uh, If we're honest, at the end of the day, they're not even helpful and if we're not careful at the time, we have damaged a relationship, which was the hope to restore that in the midst of that, all for the sake of just being authentic, just being real, all right so today we want to look <coughs> a little bit about that question. how do we do that? How can we How can we share those things? Because I think in my life, I look back. I've probably fallen on both sides of it. There are times I've just wanted to be right at all costs, right, at the expense of the relationship. And then there's times, on the other hand, I've received the authenticity of thought and left kind of emotionally just devastated by what came my way. And so how do we do that? Today, we're going to talk a little bit about how we are real without being rude in three areas, how we do that amongst each other how we do that in the family of God, and how we do that in the context of church leadership, how can we be real without being rude? So we're going to go to the first place that Jesus in the New Testament uses the word church to give us some indication about how we need to relate with one another in those midst. And it's found in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Now, here's the interesting part about it. Jesus is is teaching to this new thing called the church, and one of the first instructions he gives is how do we deal with conflict and sin with one another? Because he knew this. The New Testament church was made up of people just like me and people like you, right? And so whenever you have two people, you have a differing perspective of opinions and thought, and conflict rises in. So it's one of the things he's going to talk about first and foremost here, and here's the main point. He's going to talk about how we keep the unity... And the reputation of the church in our community, first and foremost. And then, secondly, how we restore a brother or sister who is living in sin. And we're going to find that all in uh, Matthew chapter 18. So, again, if you got your Bibles this morning, let's get in there. Matthew chapter 18. If you got your phones, you can go to lexcity.info. If you're new and visiting with us this morning, so glad you're here. Lexcity.info has all the sermon notes, ways to get connected with our church. For those of you who are watching online, glad to have you with us this morning. Light topic, right? How do we deal with sin and conflict with one another? Aren't you glad? Hey, we're just going to keep it real and uh, rolling here together, right? So Matthew chapter 18, it says this, If your brother sins against you. Context, right? Always important. And Jesus is going to make a real clear distinction between talking with fellow believers in conflict and how we talk to those who are outside of the church or outside of the faith who are non-believers, and this is important because we're gonna see how we deal with people who are not followers of Christ is very different than how we deal with people who are followers of Christ. I hear often, right? And don't judge. We're not to judge. Believers aren't to judge at all. Can I just remind you that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach don't judge. The Bible teaches who we should judge and who we should not judge. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way. For what I... I do to, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Here's how I remember. Andy Stanley said this years ago, it's always stuck with me. Judge the believing, not the heathen. All right, easy way to remember. How do I judge? I judge the believing, just not the heathen that's there, right? God is ultimately the judge of them. Now, this doesn't mean that I ignore sin, It doesn't mean that I affirm sin or sinful behavior or sinful ideology. There's a lot of that out there today. It just means my approach to that person who is a non-believer is distinctly different. What we're gonna see in Matthew chapter 18, here's what I wanna remind you again, what we're gonna talk about today applies to the believing, those that are in the family of God, not those that are outside the family of God. I should not expect... My, my friends who are not, don't have Jesus in their life to act like a Christ follower. If they could act like a Christ follower without Christ in their life, why would they need Christ, right? So I need to understand and, and enter into that relationship with a little degree of understanding. Hebrews chapter 11, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So they don't have Jesus, I understand that. So I don't condone, right? I don't justify, I don't affirm their sin, I fight for godliness in my country, right, and in my world, in my sphere of influence, in my family. This is not a passive acceptance, like a not judge can't deal with anything. It's not a passive acceptance. It's just giving us a grace-filled understanding that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And since only Jesus can change the heart, in the absence of Jesus, I just need to understand their perspective is going to be a little bit different. But that's the unbelieving. But when it comes to the camp, right, brothers and sisters in Christ, when conflict arises with another brother or sister in Christ, especially around this area of sin, then I have a different approach. And that's what we're going to see here today. And as I enter into this approach, we're going to see today over and over that I've got to do so carefully. I can't weaponize being real. I can't weaponize Matthew 18 in, in the lives of people. I've got to enter into this carefully and cautiously with the humble spirit. So let me give you three questions to kind of dive into as we deal with these. The first steps you want to take. Number one is simply this. Make sure it is a sin issue, all right? So many conflicts, at least in my life, that we deal with, they're really around personal preferences, personality quirks, hurt feelings, I felt disrespected, or different things like that. They're all significant, but they aren't sin issues that we're going to deal with in Matthew 18. Does that make sense there? This is dealing with when there's clear biblical sin in the life of somebody. And most of our conflicts, again, deal around preferences, opinions, and thoughts that are significant, but it's not sin. So we really got to make sure that that's the case. It's still a conflict, but it's not a Matthew 18 process. Does that make sense? So the first question is, is this a sin issue? If it is, second question inspect your own life first. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us this great picture to remind us of this principle, inspect your own life first. It goes, Matthew 7 says this way, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly they take the speck out of your brother's eye. I love the picture, the imagery. I mean, here's the picture. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, uh, this is a silliness if you, if you can't do that, because I'm reminded of this. Have you ever noticed? Sometimes those who seem most concerned with the specks in everybody else's eye have the largest log. And in their attempt to remove everybody's specks, they're like, Pah! Bam. I mean, they're just leaving people bloodied and bruised. Let me stay close. I got to go closer, right? Here's what he's just saying. He says, we've got to begin with a little bit of introspection and look on our, our own sides, inspect our own lives. Have you ever had somebody judge you for different things? They're like judging your parenting style because your kids were in Walmart and this crazy, and you're like, are you kidding me? I, I, I know your family. <laughs> uh, we're all a little crazy together on these things. Or They've judged your spirituality on this area, and, and you know they're struggling in some other areas. The point is simply this. Jesus saying, the point is not that you have to be perfect to confront, but he says, let's confront with some humility. Let's confront with some kindness. Let's begin in that process. Understand this. What irritates you about other people is probably a reflection of Ramir, what irritates you about yourself. You ever notice that? Some things that just drive me nah, a little bit. So it's this idea, is there anything, as I enter into this, is there anything in me that's escalating the situation? Is there anything in my life that it's a log and I'm actually, I'm creating more damage than good in these things. What is it about me that's escalating? Because if the person, here's the point of Matthew 7. If the person who you're going to confront sees the hypocrisy in your life, maybe even on the very issue you're confronting them about, you are gonna lessen the opportunity for restoration in their life and in your relationship, right? So be clear. It doesn't mean, let me make sure, It does not mean that you have to be perfect before you confront anybody. Otherwise, we'd confront nobody because none of us are perfect. But it does say, when we have this confrontation, let us do so with grace and humility and kindness, knowing we can't stand without perfection, right? Third one. Inspect your own life number three is check your motives. Probably the hardest question to have honest assessment of where we are but really as we enter in this check your own motives right are you trying to be right in the situation or are you truly trying to restore a brother and sister in Christ whose reputation in this conflict am i more worried about am i want to make sure everybody knows that i'm right or am i worried about their reputation and the harm that's coming towards their life how do we know what that is listen your your words your tone your approach, the conversation you have in the car, just with yourself when you think about that person in that situation, right? All probably give evidence of where our motives are in that situation. Am I hurting so badly, right? Hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> so in this conflict, am I, is, the, is it hurting me so deep? My motives probably are a little skewed. There are times, listen, we are not the right person or it's not the right time to have that conversation or that conflict. Ephesians chapter 4 gives us the best scenario. Jesus says this is the way. Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to, here's the key, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Matthew 18, remember, primary focus, restoration is the goal. So, as we're entering into a conflict or a conversation, three questions, right? We've got to start by asking ourselves Have they sinned? Is this a sin issue? Or have they simply offended me? We can still have the conversation if they've offended me, but it's just a different tone, right? We're not hyper spiritualizing and weaponizing something. I've been offended. I've been hurt. I've been misunderstood. We're just having a conversation about that. But I have this sin. Number two, is there sin in my own life, right, that's contributing to the conflict that I need to deal with? And third, Am I approaching them in a situation with their interest in mind and not my own? If we're yes to all of these, right, very practical, then we move on to the next steps. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. Why do we go alone? It's to protect, right, the reputation and to give that person the best chance and the best opportunity for restoration of relationship. Unfortunately, right? I've been guilty of this before. Unfortunately, too many times we go to two or three other people and we lay out our case, why we've done this and why they're that. We lay all these things and then we we guise it at the very end. So would you please pray for me as I go into this? Listen, if we've gone and shared it with three or four people, we're no longer doing Matthew 18, right? Let's just be honest. We're gossiping. And we're slandering a little bit because we wanted everybody to know and validate us before we went into this. And here's the problem. Once that person who you're having this conflict realizes that you've shared this now with three or four or five or six different people, no matter how great the intentions are, it becomes easy for that person to become resentful and the road to restoration gets even more difficult. Why? Because now, man, everybody at church thinks this about me. All right, This whole group has this about me and I don't think they're ever going to give me a chance. This is why you see people leave the church, right, over different things uh, because they just felt there's no road back that not, their reputation can never be put back in tack. So we go one-on-one, why for the, create the best opportunity to do that. Now, if you go to them and you share this one-on-one and that person receives this and they appreciate it, what have you done? What have you caused? Here's the great part. Go to the last part of Verse 15. Between you and him, here, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Here's the wonderful part. If you do that in this way and they receive it, you've gained a brother, a friend. I, I had this happen just this week. I had a conversation with, with one of my elders who was just sharing with me and shared a little bit of a leadership opportunity that I had missed and shared their perspective of how that made them feel. And here it was great because they shared it with humility Because I felt like you actually care about this relationship and mine. You're not trying to burn me. You're not trying to shame me. You didn't say, well, I had this concern and perspective. And so I brought the whole board together. We want to have this conversation. Or I'm an elder. I'd like to make a Sunday morning announcement. Uh, Pastor, had an opportunity here and didn't go. No. He did it with the kind of kindness. What It gave me opportunity to hear, to grow, to hopefully do better in the future. It built a trust in our relationship over that conversation. Now, here's the wonderful byproduct. Someday there may need to be a conversation that isn't based on preferences, preferences and things like this. It may be a sin issue that I need reproof on. And because they have treated me with kindness on a smaller thing, when something really real comes that's significant, there's a trust factor and there's an openness in my heart because we've practiced this together. Does that make sense? Far more likely to repent and do the things that are required because I'm not defensive, I'm not demanding, I'm not distancing because I can trust the person. That's the value of the going to the one-on-one because you, it's one of the few, you'll be one of the few relationships in the life of somebody who like, I care enough about you, I just wanted to share this part, just you and me, and give you opportunity. You get the idea what's one. If we go there, and they respond, we win a brother. What happens when they don't receive your correction? Well, Practically, Matthew 18 continues on, verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, right? So if they don't respond, and you share this with two or three spiritually mature, trusted people, right? Now it's not just your words, it's not just your perspective. Two or three other people that you share with this, listen, There's one opportunity. They have the opportunity to validate that your perspective and your thoughts are accurate. We are dealing with the sin thing. I'm affirming I see that the truth. Or sometimes you talk with two or three other people in that context and they give you a perspective that you realize your perspective skewed. I'm bringing, I made this a little bit more about me than it really wasn't about that person, right? My own hurts, my own biases, my own baggage came into this and you gave me some perspective like, it's not actually them. I just need to work on a few things and trust the Lord with it. So there's some wonderful perspective. Then when you go to the person and you have this conversation in love and humility, having two or three witnesses also help to just validate the conversation, right? They can give an accurate account of a conversation. It dismisses the he said, she said. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and at the end you thought it was this and that other person had a totally different perspective and you're like, did we have the same, were we on the same lunch? The beauty of another third person, two or three, is it just gives an accurate account of what happens, right? So you've done step two. Now, if they remain in sin, still rebellious, now you take the matters. Here's the third one. where This escalates. This is why it's so important to define, are we in a Matthew 18 issue? If we're in a Matthew 18 issue, there's a process that moves through an escalation, right? And if they refuse on all of those, they still are living in their sin. Matthew 18, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, here it is, tell it to the church. So tell it to the church or the representatives of the church in our context of Lex City. That would be our elders who would be the appropriate place to do that. We're not sharing every service. You know, these are the things, right? So this is our representative of our leadership there. So if a person is living in ongoing sin, here's what Matthew 18 reminds us the impact of that one person's sin is that it impacts the unity of the body, which is first and foremost. It impacts the reputation of the church in the community that we're trying to reach. And so again, the purpose of Matthew 18 is to bring unity in the testimony of the church. So if you go and they share it to the church, the representative's theirs, and that person still continues to rebel against that and live in sin, then here's some harsh truth, but the importance... What Jesus says, go to the last part. And if he refuses to listen, verse 17, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If all attempts to bring restoration and repentance doesn't lead a person to godly sorrow and repentance, then it says this. They're to be removed from the fellowship. Pretty strong words. New Testament, we see some of this teaching that comes. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Titus 3, all tell them that, listen, they're to be removed from the activities of the church, removed from taking communion, the Lord's Supper, they're together. You're not to associate with them, you're not to have meals with them on these things. It's this idea of purging from the church until, here's the key, until that person comes to a point of repentance. And then that road to restoration is open and we figure out what that road looks like. But the point is, at this point, if they're unrepentant and living in that kind of open sin, then this is the thing that escalates the importance of it is the idea that they're removed from fellowship. It's really hard, but I think it's such an important truth. You know, one of the the struggles, I think a disturbing trend we see in in church life here in uh, 2023 is so many times we have pastors who are removed from positions because of blatant, obvious sin. And six months later, we find them in another state, another thing, launching another church, or they're on a speaking circuit four months later. Whenever we weaken the restoration process, we hurt the person who has sinned because they haven't dealt with the gravity of it, and we hurt the church in the big C church. Restoration is such an important process, but we can't weaken it. We can't shortchange it. We can't try to run around it. It's such a valuable thing. uh, 17th century, Jonathan Edwards, great preacher, wrote this way. If you tolerate visible wickedness in your membership, you will greatly dishonor God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The religion which you profess, the church in general, and yourself in particular... As those members of the church who practice wickedness bring dishonor upon the whole body, so do those who tolerate them in it, Unity, Matthew 18. Unity of the church is such a beautiful thing. It's such a fragile thing. It's a thing worth protecting. It's a thing worth fighting for it together. I love that about who we are as a church family here at Lex City, and I just say the joy and the unity that we experience together is fragile, It takes all of us working together, protecting each other, and protecting that unity is such a valuable thing. It's so important that it's one of the first things that Jesus teaches on, on the early church. First time he uses the word church, it's in the context. Again, Matthew 18, because he understands how significant this is, since we're being real, right? What happens when conflict is with church leadership, with an elder, with a pastor? Just hypothetically, all right? What would happen if you experienced that? Now, here's what's really interesting. The road to the restoration or the conflict on that is different than Matthew 18 when dealing with leadership, especially in the context of church. And we're going to see here, uh, Paul is going to give some teaching to Timothy, a young pastor who, in the context of his church, is having problems and issues with elder leadership within there. And so Paul says, Let me tell you how this works. First Timothy chapter five. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Here's the idea. When dealing with church leadership, that first conflict, that that first conversation isn't one-on-one. This one is you gather two or three witnesses rather than confronting the person one-on-one. Why? There's protection in this. Here's, don't miss this. For both parties. There's protection for the leadership from frivolous and consistent accusations. All right? One of the great joys and privileges and fearful things in my life is, right, every Sunday I get a chance to sit in front of a few hundred people and I'm sure offend somebody every week, right, uh, on different things than there. So... What it does is it protects the leadership from like every, every thought, everything. It could be just be consistent, you're know, right, and discouraging and wear them down. So it protects them from frivolous ones that are there. But secondly, it protects when there is valid things that it's not just that person's opinion. So when you bring two or three, especially those that are spiritually mature, it adds some validation to the concern that you have. Do you see it that what I'm saying that way? So Paul is saying this really carefully to us. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not trying to make leadership untouchable, but rather protect them from illegitimate accusations. So he says in that context, trying to protect leadership, and I'm trying to give a valid voice for valid concerns, so come, and there's weight with that. You see the difference between the two? And protection for both. Both of these teachings, right? Uh, Galatians and and, uh, Matthew chapter 18, what's the primary goal again? The primary goal, don't miss it, is for the unity of the body of Christ, to protect the integrity of the church. Secondly, to restore a brother or sister in Christ who is walking and broken by sin. Galatians chapter six just gives us again another picture of the spirit. It says, brother, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. When we deal with one another in conflict, what's the spirit? It's in the spirit of gentleness. When we deal with one another, let us do so in grace, in kindness. Big thought for today hey, let's be real, but let's also be kind as we walk with one another. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we take time and we're grateful for the practical teaching of your word. God, this is, it's a hard topic. It's a a difficult one. And so may your spirit speak to us what is truth and may that resonate within our hearts. But God, just give us discernment as we deal with one another because we know this as fallen people in a fallen world We will sin against one another. We will hurt one another. We will disappoint one another. And in those moments, give us discernment to know the level of what that is. Give us the insight to first look within, to remove the log, to discern what my own feelings, and my own hurts, and how that could be escalating it. Give us wisdom there and give us the courage and kindness to have difficult conversations when that's required. But thank you for all of this, that the thing that is primary to your heart and the concern and why you put the teaching here is just for the unity of spirit, the unity of the family of God. And so for each one of us, let us play our part in protecting and promoting and living life in kindness with one another. Thankful for that, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.